So, who's your daddy? I mean, we've all got a father, right? None of us would be walking the planet without one. But, in this, the day and age of baby daddies and baby mamas, fatherhood and manhood is a far cry from the days of... Leave it to Beaver! Gone are the traditional ideals of family and motherhood and fatherhood. I mean, not that these ideals weren't broken or misguided too, but today, especially when it comes to fathers, fathers seem to be a joke, a punchline in sitcoms. No! That's right, envy me. That's my wife, those are my kids, and I sell women's shoes. (laughs) What am I worried about? I was dead before I got here. A glass of fresh lemonade. Not me. What I want is a fresh glass of better daughter. You would think by today's view that fathers are useless, worthless idiots with little to no effect on families and home life, other than as comic relief, mitigating them to. <laughs> oh God, I poop my pants. But the truth is, the national research and statistics back this up. A father's presence and influence in the home is the number one indicator and barometer of the psychological and behavioral and spiritual health of his children. And one of the primary influences on their mental and relational health after leaving the home. So why are fathers getting dumped on today? Honestly, I think it's a lot of our own fault. We've had generation after generation of distant dads, distant emotionally and physically. We've had husbands and fathers who have abdicated their roles as lovers and protectors in the home, and they've turned over their responsibilities, and we've lost trust over the generations. Trust, especially in the home, is earned, not given. Psalm 103.13 tells us, As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. Now that's a pretty loaded verse, isn't it? It simply states the fact that, like a never-ending circle, in the same way that God has compassion on us, his children, we're called to have the same compassion on our children. And so, as this verse easily points out, Our kids' understanding of the loving, compassionate, Heavenly Father is directly related to just how loving and compassionate their earthly father is, and the primary reason why we must be good fathers. It's a heavy responsibility, and worth looking at and talking about. So whether you're a father or not, or ever will be, this is a subject of great importance. And this month, we'll be talking to four different fathers about their relationship with their own fathers and how that shaped and influenced their relationship with their children. Who's your daddy? We kick things off with our good buddy Paul Andrews. Paul's been a fixture around here at Flatirons for years. He served as student ministries pastor for about 10 years, and he now serves as one of our elders. Paul and his lovely wife, Anna, have been married for over 20 years, and they are the parents of four beautiful daughters, Maddie, Nicole, Rachel, and Gabby. This is Flatirons Men's Community Pastor Dan Foote, and thanks for joining us for Wake Up Call, the Flatirons podcast for men. This month we're doing what's called uh, Who's Your Daddy? Yep. And look, just talking to fathers about their experience of being a father, hearing their story. And I wanted to talk to you because, first of all, you are, you're an, you're a big part of Flatirons. You're a big part of where Flatirons is today because you've been a part of Flatirons for how many years? Uh, this is 19 years. 19 years. So you go back to the, when what where were where was Flatirons meeting when you first came on? When I first came, we were meeting at Fairview High School in the auditorium, about okay. eighty people. Yeah, eighty it was a long people. time ago in a galaxy far, far away. Yeah, that is a long time ago. You at one point were the youth pastor here. I was. That's what brought me out here back in ninety eight. Brought you out from where? I was out in Aurora. Actually, I was at a church in Aurora. I left there. Was living in my mom's basement with my wife, and at that time, we had two daughters. Okay. And then we came out um, while I was in between church jobs. I was delivering pizzas during the day or at night and roofing commercially down in Boulder during the day. 
And doing youth ministry in the midst of all that. Yep. And then got an opportunity to come up here and see what God was doing at Flatirons. Kind of blew me away. The exact reason I left my last church is why I came to Flatirons. Which was what? Uh, Just an older dying church that just all they wanted to do was take care of uh, their congregation. Right. And we were doing youth ministry where we were reaching some really tough kids and we're blowing the doors off. And leadership came to us and said, we want you to quit doing that. We want... You're kidding. No, they said they were concerned about us and the impact that these kids we were bringing were having on the membership kids. Man. And I just said, you know, I I don't think I can do that because I think Jesus called me to go out there. Because I'm one of them, number one. I don't want to be disillusioned about, hey, guess what? I got my crap. Right. Number two, we're called to reach lost and broke. So when I had a chance to come to Flatters and I saw the whole church was committed to it, I'm like, giddy up, I'm in. Yeah. What year was that? It was 98. 98. Okay. At that point, you and Anna had two, two girls? We did. We had my oldest daughter, Madison, and my second daughter, Noelle. Okay. And then how long were you in youth ministry here? I was here from 98 to 2006. Wow. So about eight years. Yeah. And and what was that like with, I'm going to say, a young father, two kids? I'm guessing you added an, at least another in the midst of that, and within that eight years, or two more? We added two more. My wife would not leave me alone. You know, it's just the way it works. <laughs> well, I can see why, Paul. <laughs> Absolutely. Look at this, right? <laughs> um, we added two more, and at that time, again, we started as 80 people, and by the time I left, I think we were running about five or 6,000. Yeah. So about every year, we would just laugh because we would double in our attendance every year just growing and growing so trying to keep up with that was incredibly difficult it's a big reason why I eventually transitioned out right was just the the wear and tear and then having four small girls uh, yeah. they were all five years apart so easy for me to work 70 80 hours a week and then do the best I could to come home and be a dad right and times feeling like I just didn't do a really good job of it mm-hmm. yeah yeah and then you you stepped away and then you got involved in the real estate, right? I did, yeah. I've been in real estate now. This is my 11th year. Yeah. And um, and you're a busy guy. I am a busy guy. The market's crazy. The market is really, really crazy. It's great to be a seller. It, it really is difficult to be a buyer right now. But right. I love what I do. I get to help people still, which is really cool. Yeah. The other thing, too, is you didn't step away from ministry here. You are one of the key volunteers in student ministry to this day. That's right. My guys are seniors. Pretty stoked about that. A bunch of knuckleheads, but they're amazing uh, young men. Um, and I love getting to do that. Still, that's still my passion. Yeah, yeah. So uh, that's your journey here at Flatirons. Yep. And just take me back when you grew up in Colorado. Yep. Just walk us through your home. Yeah, growing up, and then how you got into ministry, where you found Jesus in the midst of that. Man, that's a long story. But basically, I grew up in a pretty strict Christian home. We went to a Plymouth Brethren Church. Help me out. What's so like? Plymouth, Massachusetts. Brethren, yeah, like Mennonite. And the women went with their heads covered. They could not speak during service. The service was about two hours, and there was no pastor as far as preaching. Just different men would stand up, read scripture, or pray, or then ask for a certain hymn to be read, and that went on for two hours. This sounds kind of like Quakers. It was pretty awesome, yeah. Not. (laughs) (laughs) That sounds a lot like flat irons. Yeah, just like it. It really prepared me. Um, so, so I was there. that's what you grew up in. Definitely grew up in it. But then about when I was 10 years old, my dad had an affair mm. and well, with the next door neighbor. And the church leadership at that time, my mom wanted to divorce him. And she basically got excommunicated from the church for not taking him back. Wow. And so their marriage fell apart. They got divorced. Um, it really left a bad taste in my mouth, the whole thing. Part Toward of the, church and? Church and just God overall. I just remember thinking, you know, we were a pretty devout family going to church and following God. And I remember thinking as a little kid, just if this is what it gets me to follow God. I don't want any part of it. Yeah. You now, know, how old were you when that happened? Twelve when they finally got divorced. Wow. So, and then uh, from my junior junior high years, I was just a terror. I was a bad kid. Now, when you say bad, there's there's in my mind, there's bad, yeah. like, and then there's like ill behaved. You're creating problems. You're you know you're throwing M80s in the toilets and that kind of stuff. What what were you doing? Were you like drugs, alcohol, or what does that look like? Uh, I didn't do any what you would call typical drugs. I used to sniff gas quite a bit. <laughs> <laughs> Which explains my IQ to this day. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, just like opening up oh my gosh, gas yeah. caps and sticking your nose in the 
in the pipe? It, it, basically, I'd go with a couple of my buddies home for lunch. We had open campus in middle school. We'd go home, and my buddy had a motorcycle. We'd eat some lunch, you know, get a little craving. Then we'd jump on his motorcycle, take the gas gas off, and just put your nose down. And probably about five, ten minutes just inhaling. I mean, you can't imagine the damage it did Oh, to me. my gosh. And, yeah, I've heard people say, yeah, you should be dead. You shouldn't have done stuff like yeah. that. So doing that, drinking, um, the biggest thing was just doing whatever I could to get into trouble and sort of to give a big middle finger to God saying, yep. Yeah. This is what I got. This is what I think of you. So, so was that toward God? Or was it also toward your your parents to some degree? Or? You know, it's pretty interesting. Um, my had a really strange relationship with my dad during that time where he suddenly became my best friend. But I realized later he became my best friend to try and infiltrate and get me to get my mom to take him back. So he sure. would coach me on things to say and just mm. – uh, I look back and there was a lot of manipulation that went on. And at that time I blamed my mom because all I had was my dad in my ear telling me, here's right. what's going on. And so through that period, I, I really um, was pretty angry, mostly at God, some at my mom, but I just remember just not really giving a crap and yeah. saying, I'm going to go out and do whatever I want to do. So, I mean, I just tell my I finally told my parents the other day some of the stuff I used to do. And I used to do stuff that was enough that may have got me arrested, but nothing really big. Right. So we used to go and we do what we call lawn jobs, where okay. we take a car and go across as many lawns as we could, <laughs> neutral dropping it to try and leave tire trenches sure. in there. I mean, just really... Like, I love my lawn now. Yeah. I would kill a kid if I saw him do that, right? <laughs> I, I would literally go out and say, you're, you're done. Yeah. So I, do, I stole about $4,000 from one of my neighbors. I found out where they hid their money because we used to have access to their house. And so we would go over there once a week, and I'd take about 100 or 200 bucks. And I'd Just take my buddies out. Just slowly took? Enough. I was a smart criminal. Yeah, I took enough so they wouldn't notice it. But we would go out and buy pizza. Play. At that time, we went and played video games at the right. arcade. Right. And I, my buddies thought I was awesome because I was a money man. Let's go get some beers, eat some za, and yeah. crush some centipede. It was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> and, and Pac-Man. Yeah. Burr, 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 burr. yeah. So what's funny is then I started getting back into church because my dad still made us go to church. But I was one of those. I laughed all the time as a youth pastor because whenever I get a tough kid or whatever, it's like, God is paying me back right. as a little a-hole I was at that time. So did he take you back to the Plym- Plymouth Brethren Church? No, or? he ended up going to another church down in Denver called Self Fellowship. Okay. Um, and that's really- so you guys, your par- both parents got excommunicated from the Brethren Church. My dad finally ended up leaving. I didn't think he wanted to answer a lot of the questions as well. Um, it was right. just so legalistic. Uh, my mom ended up going to a different church. She ended up going to Cherry Hills back in the day, okay. years ago. We went to South, and when I went there, you know, beginning from junior high up into freshman and sophomore year, I was just a terror. I would go there and show up because I had to be, but I was doing whatever I could to be divisive. So, like what? Oh, my God. We would go to camps and stuff, and man, we would, at that time, snuff was big and chew. Oh, yeah. So we would sit in the back and just you know get a major buzz going. We'd be playing truth or dare in the back with girls while the message is happening. <laughs> I mean, just really... Like, and what were you daring them? Like, you know, show me your boob, that kind of stuff? Yeah, have you not played Truth or Dare, Dan? Well, no. Only, <laughs> with, you, only with you. Well, wait, wait, wait. It's not this podcast. Uh, but yeah, just whatever we could to cop a feel yeah. or whatnot. Just a bad kid. And so whether it was stealing stuff, doing stuff in our car, um, you know, whatever I could to be a disruption. Right. Uh, and it was really good at it. I had a pretty good following with me. I was kind of the leader of, of the cohorts. And I remember some of our youth pastors at the time just going nuts wanting to excommunicate me at that point. Right. So it all changed my junior year. A new youth pastor came in. His name was Ken. And he looked at me. He was an amazing man, probably one of the most influential men in my life. And he looked at me, and he was watching me, and he could tell I was sort of the leader of the the kids. And he knew if he could get me, he could turn the group around. Right. So he just started loving on me and investing in me, even though I was just a punk. And eventually, Were you resistant at first? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I didn't need him, you know. And Did you see through that? Or? No. Um, because he was genuine. He really cared right, about me. Right. But I had no idea. His plan was he knew that if he could get me as a leader, he could shape the rest of the group. Right. And after about a year of pouring into me, it just finally cracked. And I just said, you know, God, I'm tired of running. I'm tired of doing my own thing. And at that point, I said, I don't want to be used by you. So as a junior in high school, he starts pouring into me, mentoring me, asked me to jump on and start volunteering with middle schoolers. Um, and that's how I got started in student ministries. It was just somebody more mentored me and poured into me right. and said, hey, I want you to go do the same. And that captured your heart. That was it. Yeah. And then, you know, so that was, 19, oh gosh, 1988. Yeah. So all the way up to 2006, I did youth ministry. Yeah. So did you release some of that anger toward God in the midst of that, or were you still working through that? Yeah, you know, some ways I thought, yeah, in other ways, no. I mean, part of it was definitely receiving grace and understanding, yeah, I've really screwed up my life pretty good, and I'm, I've really treated people poorly. Yeah. Uh, one of the biggest revelations is just realizing the influence my mom had on me at that time. She was so gracious, and even though I treated her like dirt because, again, I was pointing her as being the bad one. Right. 
all she did was ever love me and pray for me. And it wasn't until probably my 20s I came back and realized my mom, her, her covering me with prayers probably protected me in times I shouldn't have been protected. Sure. And it reminded me of what God's love is for me, that it's, you know, the prodigal son. I could come back, and I just went back and apologized and asked for her forgiveness. Yeah. Because I realized the impact she had had on my life. She was so constant, such a strong woman. So at 20, you were able to go back and do that? Yeah, that was about 20 with my mom. And during that time, I had a pretty high awareness of just the dysfunction. I made a promise in my heart saying I didn't want to have the same type of family that I grew up in. Right. I didn't want my kids ever to go through and feel that. So I wanted to be a better dad, a better husband. And that right. really was a passion that drove me. So some of that was self-awareness where I would jump into counseling and I really was going through trying to figure out why do I act and why do I behave the way I do? What are some of the patterns that have been ingrained in me that I want to change? So when did you first start going to counseling? Uh, probably about 18. Okay. So we did a little bit of family counseling before that, um, which was more just sort of jumping through hoops for my parents. But it really when I went on my own saying, right. I realized if I didn't change the patterns that had been established, I was going to continue them on. Mm-hmm. And that's the last thing I wanted. And at that point, I wasn't seriously dating or married. I just knew that's not who I wanted to be as a dad or a husband. Sure. And then when did you make, I'm going to say, peace with your dad and all this? Um, it was, it's, it's been quite a journey. So we actually, um, there was a point where my dad then not only divorced my mom, divorced my stepmom, who we became very close to and actually made her part of our family oh. after being very resistant, divorced her. And there was just some patterns there. We just said, you know, Dad, there, there's, there's no accountability for your actions. Yeah. Um, and you're saying one thing and doing something else. And by that time, my sisters and I had two of my own natural sisters. And then my stepdad, my dad and my stepmom had a brother, had another half-brother, half-sister. So there was five of us. Right. Um, but the older two and me basically just said, Dad, we're not going to put up with this anymore. We're going to call you on it. And it caused us to go through a time of about a year, year and a half where we didn't speak, mm. um, which is significant in our family because we always had. Right. And during that time, I just came to realize that I didn't know if my dad was able to really ever change. Yeah. Um, and I went through a mourning process that I'll probably never have the dad I always wanted and hoped for. Right. And that was hard. And there's times where I really feel like, okay, I'm okay with that. And it means to this day, I have a really good um, relationship with my dad as far as surfacely. It's just, I don't know that I ever desire to seek out that next level that you would typically have with a father and son. Sure. Because I've been hurt enough that I'm not going to put myself back in that position. So that's, that's a, there's a dance that happens a little bit there and there's mm-hmm. times it goes back and forth. But that's kind of where I'm at with my dad now. How much does that play into who you are as a dad now? I'm guessing big, but like yeah, where, where's that evidenced? Uh, it shaped me a lot again when I looked at saying, how do, who's the kind of dad I want to be? And it always causes me to check my motives. Why am I doing what I'm doing? And how often is it I'm selfish? And how much is it about me? And how much is it really, no, this is what my daughters or my wife need? So that yeah. really does drive a lot of it. And there's times I do really well, and there's other times I fail miserably. Yeah. But there's definitely an awareness about it. So when did you meet Anna? Met Anna at uh, my year out of high school, at 19. She showed up. I was still down at the church in Denver called South Fellowship. She and her other friend showed up. And it was a smaller church, so I think our college ministry was about 15 people. Yeah. So if anybody new shows up, you know it. Oh, yeah. So she shows up with her friend. Um, my wife, Anna, is this striking Hispanic lady. Yeah. And her friend was this blonde bombshell as well. So these two girls walk in. You can imagine any of these young guys are like, whoa. <laughs> Dumb. Yeah, it's like. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> A little bit, yeah. yeah. Um, and she walked in. I immediately just thought, I've got to get to know her. Yeah. And so I set out a little bit of a scheme, actually, some of my friends. I said, I'm going to find a way. It turned out I had to leave town for like 10 days on some trip. She came back to uh, the college group when I was gone, and all my buddies knew I was interested. So they all start talking me up big time, which was awesome. Well, really good cool for friends. them instead of throwing you under the bus. Absolutely, because that's I what I would have thrown you them. under the bus. Uh, me too, right? <laughs> yeah. I had really naive good friends. Yeah. So. Oh, you mean that pedophile that's in California? <laughs> 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 so they talked to me, and finally, um, I come back, and she had just gotten out of a relationship. So I just was like, hey, I'd love to go out. Do you want to go out and grab a burger after you know, group one night? So we did. And she just gave me these really clear boundaries like, right. I am not interested in dating. I'm happy to be a friend, and I'd love to get to know you. Yeah. And I'm like, all right, I'm game for that. And, I'll, and I just let her know, you just know my intentions are I'd love to date you at some point. Right. So this lasted for about two months. And I could tell I'm starting to win her over. I mean, I'm just... The walls eroding. Absolutely. Just wear them down, right? Yeah. (laughs) And finally, (laughs) about November, she came. And at that point, I just decided I'm not going to say another thing about Dayton. But I can tell there's some chemistry starting to happen. And finally, we're on some walk, some romantic walk one night. And she just looked at me and said, when are you going to ask me out again? I said, you know, I'm really okay just being friends. (laughs) (laughs) I think she hit me pretty hard. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, so that's when we started dating. Um, we dated for, 
about six or eight months, and then I broke her heart. I broke up with her on July 4th. Really? Yeah. Um, what, what caused that? Uh, to be honest, it was a pretty healthy thing. It was some self-awareness. Um, I just didn't know exactly what I really wanted, and I could tell where we were going. Right. And she was head over heels. I mean, how could she not be Of right? course, Again, yes. Totally. Why, you have four girls? Absolutely, yes. yes. Uh, and I remember just thinking, I don't know if I can get the same spot she is, and I don't want to break her heart even more if it's not to that point later. Right. So I said, I think we want to take a break. And she's like, what the hell? And mm-hmm. I said, well, I'm just not sure. And I may need to date some other women, which went over really well, as you can imagine. <laughs> uh, and her family's Hispanic. And I found out later, like her dad and her uncles were ready to kill me because yeah. <laughs> I broke their little daughter's heart. So sure. Yeah. I, I had the posse after me. Um, but that lasted for about six months and all. And during that time, it was good. I just really questioned, what am I really looking for in yeah. a wife? What do I really want? And what were you doing at this time? At that time, I was an intern over at a church out in Aurora. Okay. I'm working my way, finishing up school. Yeah. Um, You're how old? Uh, at that time, I'm 21, 22. Yeah. So we dated um, for about on and off. For, it's actually a little bit longer than a year we dated. Yeah. By the time I figure out, you're a dumbass, you had something amazing there and all that. Yeah. We would still talk maybe once a month or whatever else. What made it really difficult is my best friend and my roommate is a guy named Chris, was best friends, well, was really interested in her best friend, Becky, who was that blonde. Yes, right? yes. And so Chris would always chase after Becky, and he would do whatever to try and, and get some time with Becky. Well, Chris went back. At one point, I made some stupid total dude comment to Chris like, yeah, I could get Anna back anytime I wanted. <laughs> Right, just guy talk, right? Yeah, yeah. He proceeds to tell Becky this. Of course, and right? Becky does the favor for you, tells right. Anna. Anna's like, and Anna is just pissed, yeah. right? <laughs> so I'm also working at UPS at that time, the night shift. So I'm driving home, and I, I've got this sweet 1980 VW Scirocco, which was just <laughs> a sweet ride. I just yeah. repainted I literally spent like three grand to restore this thing. Yeah. I'm driving home from Commerce City down the UPS, and this semi pulls out in front of me and just totals me. Really? I almost died. Like it shoved my car underneath this vacant trailer to where it just stopped before it would have tucked in the top off my car. Wow. So my car is totaled. Were you hurt at all? Uh, No. Grace of God, it wasn't. But I'm shooken up, obviously. Sure. And so I'm living in my parents' house down in Littleton. My car gets home, and they just drop it in a pile on their driveway. (laughs) I get home finally about 4 in the morning. I'm asleep. All of a sudden, at about 7 or 8, my doorbell rings, and there's just a repeated knocking. Bam, 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 bam. I'm like, who the hell is this? Yeah. So I'm getting up. I've had three hours of sleep, and there's Anna, and she is just seething, like eyes <laughs> bugged out. She goes, I need to talk to you. And I'm like, do you not see the car in the driveway or whatever? <laughs> yes, I'm okay. Yeah. And she goes, oh. And she, just goes, <laughs> she looked at me. She goes, right. She goes, I heard you told Becky you can have me back anytime you want. You just need to know you'll be lucky to ever have me back, Right. You're, you are just an insecure little man. Have a nice day. And wow. Up. <laughs> I remember just standing in the doorway looking around like, what just happened, right? Yeah. So that happened, and it, that was about November, uh, late October, November. Fortunately, by about Christmas, the desire for her to have a boyfriend again over the holidays was strong enough that she gave me a second chance. Right. So I basically wooed myself back in, and uh, we ended up getting engaged later that summer and married that next about a year later. Okay. Uh, January 2nd, 1992. There you go. Yeah. So then, when when was Maddie born? Maddie was born in 1995. Okay, and she's number one. It's a whole story in herself. So Maddie was completely healthy all through pregnancy and everything. Um, had a quick delivery. I think she was delivered in four hours, which for That's her first fast. kid is really fast. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then after we went back, she was born about two in the morning. We went to sleep in the hospital room at that time. The nurses came back and woke us up at four saying, we need to talk to you. There's a problem. Mm. Like, what does that mean? And they said, your daughter's turning blue. Um, there's something going on. So they took her to the neonatal uh, ICU, did some tests, and they discovered she had a heart defect. And all this hit us out of nowhere. We had no idea. Yeah. So she had a, uh, what's called transposition of the greater arteries, which basically means her aorta and pulmonary were crossed into the wrong chambers of the heart. Right. And the doctor, I remember looking at it, they were doing a heart echo at that time, trying to figure out what was going on. And he said, oh, good. And I'm thinking, oh, good. It's a small problem. He said, no, it just means it's correctable. Yeah. There's some babies that are born with heart defects there's nothing to do about and you either get a transplant or eventually they die so we went through that journey which was a whole deal um and maddie is hours old hours old so she immediately had a procedure to pop open there's uh some sort of hole i can't remember what it's called now between the two chambers of heart that lets the baby naturally oxygenate Mm -hmm. um, when they're in vitro that starts to close up naturally if that would close up she wouldn't be able to breathe so they pop that open within the first day 
Um, she had a quick surgery on that, and then two days later, she had full open heart surgery. Yeah. And uh, they said it's about oh fifty fifty survival rate if she does, um, and we'll know right away. And the surgery lasted about six hours, and it was one of the most difficult, um, horrifying things I ever went through sure. in my life. Um, and she survived that surgery and did well. And then since then, she's had two other open heart surgeries. So right. she's an amazing young woman, incredibly strong. The last one was two years ago. Yep, two years ago. Yeah. So. This is the type of gal she is, and we'll talk about daughters and also my oldest daughter, Madison. She's now had three heart surgeries. She had her second one, open heart surgery, when she was a senior in high school. Yeah. So still be able to graduate early. Um, finished up and graduated that spring. Two years later, or three, yeah, two years later, she had to have another one. Um, and she still had that, finished up school and graduated a year early from college. Yeah. So she's just a beast. Sure. Yeah. I mean, she shames me with how strong she is. I yeah. Mean, she was born strong, right? Born strong. I mean, just yeah. her courage and just perseverance is unbelievable. Isn't it cool to see how God does that? Yep. You know? Yep. Uh, that they, there's so many stories. I'm going to say I have a niece uh, who has s- some, you know, chronic uh, issues from birth. Right. And uh, same thing. She's just the strongest, funniest uh, get get you through. So, uh, he- hearing that, how did you? You said it was the hardest thing. How did you and Anna work through that? This is your first child. Within hours, you find out yeah. serious, you know, heart defect. And it's really true. You hear people talk about that will either really push you together and yeah. cement you, or it will drive you apart. And fortunately for us, it was us hanging on to each other and hanging on to Jesus has really got us through. Right. And it, it was. Um, I would say foundational for our relationship. It yeah. really did. It caused us to drop to our knees. We realized from day one that our kids don't belong to us. Yeah. You know, we're entrusted to them for a little bit of time, but they're his. I mean, I talk about being helpless. I remember one of the most poignant moments in my life is watching Madison being rolled back to go to surgery when she was four days old, feeling completely helpless. And everything inside my chest was screaming, I want to take her place. Right. I want to get on that gurney. I want to go through the pain. I don't want her to do it. And it's like God just whispered in my ear, that's exactly what I did for you. Yeah. I saw the mess you were in, and I sent my son down to take your place. And it just it changed my paradigm as how I saw God and understand his love for me that yeah. I never would have otherwise. Sure. And I would never wish to know anybody, but it was so poignant at that time. It shaped everything as far as from a father's perspective, not only for my own kids, but for other people's kids, especially sure. as a youth pastor working with them, but then for my future daughters as well. Yeah. Um, that even if they didn't have heart defects, I'm realizing there's nothing guaranteed and we're entrusted with them for a short period. They ultimately belong to him. So were you a pastor? You were the youth pastor at this time? I was. I was a church out in Aurora at that time when she so was So that's born. where you were. So yep. the one you interned I started an intern, then worked my way up and became the middle school director, then I oversaw all the program stuff. So this changed, as you said, this really helped clarify your understanding of what God does for us through Jesus Christ. Absolutely. Yeah. And then, because she's had two other surgeries, is that because... It, with it being a, a birth defect as she grows, it needs either surgery to kind of help with the growth as she ages? or A little bit of that. Some of it's unknown. Um, at that time when she had it done, it was a relatively new procedure. Um, so there wasn't a whole lot of other kids ahead of her that you could look and say, here's what you have. We always knew she would need another surgery at some point to replace a valve, um, which yeah. she ended up having done recently. Uh, but hers was she was still having narrowing of those arteries as those mm. surgery, uh, the surgical areas were stretching. Sure. So they had to go in and they actually had to do a reconstruction of her pulmonary. And uh, it was pretty scary even that at that point, watching her go through that. Right. Um, but since then, she had some other um, things developed where she had more pain. It looked like she had what's called a pseudoaneurysm developed, which she may or may not have still to this day. Uh, and every day, it's just you don't take it for granted. Right. Um, and yet if you meet her or know her, yeah. you wouldn't know. I know. Yeah. yeah. So when did she graduate? She graduated from college last year. Yeah. And so what school did she go to? She went to University of the Cumberlands, a little small Christian school out in Kentucky. Okay. Yep. Out in Kentucky. In Kentucky, yeah. And what's she doing now? She is doing a fellowship at a camp that my sister actually runs outside Westcliff, Colorado. And she really wants to get in to do overseas stuff. Uh, she, as her young age, has already done three missions trips. She's been to Musana in Africa. She's been to Colombia. She's been to Mexico. Yeah. Um, she got it at business degree with a missions minor. She wants to do microfinance and either oh, work cool. for an NGO or a mission organization. Okay, so walk us through the other three. Next daughter is Noelle. Noelle is incredible. Yeah. Um, she, the best picture I have my daughter Noelle uh, is that when she was about four or five years old, I remember it was just snow and bucket dumpings of snow out. And she was, for some reason, I happened to be on the, the main floor and she walked out 
in the midst of the snow in the day, and it was sort of, for some reason, was sunny and bright. These giant flakes come down, and she just put her hands up and started spinning around dancing in the yeah. snow. And that, if I could sum up my daughter Noel, that would be it. That's she it. just, she is a delight. She is a lover of life. She has really high highs and really low lows. Uh, she's also incredibly strong. I watched with her. She's recently, the last few years, been working through some mental illness stuff and trying to mm. figure out what's going on there. Right. And that felt um, incredibly uh, helpless again as a dad because I sure. never dealt with it before. I don't know how to help her with that. And you start having questions of what did I not do right as a dad as far as raising her? There's things that we didn't or should have done or whatnot. Yeah. And just to watch her with her strength where she's not a quitter and she just fights it and gets through it and she has good days and bad days and um, her love for people is amazing. Yeah. So, and what's she doing? Uh, she just wrapped up a semester at Front Range. So she graduated high school uh, about a, two years ago. She mm-hmm. did a gap year up at Ravencrest, which is a Bible school in Estes Park. And, and then she wants to get in to become a social worker. Okay. Uh, does not like school. And yeah. so part of the wrestling is now what is that really look like and what can you do and where do you want to get it involved but uh, she nannies she's going to school nannies for two different families and she volunteers with the middle school here at Flatiron so, that's great yeah she's an amazing young woman yeah so just to, well, walk me through that quickly um, the helplessness you feel there's the helplessness you felt with Maddie yep. with her physical stuff and right. then the helplessness you feel with Noel with the, just the, the, the mental struggles right uh, how do you get through that? Again, how, what does that do for you and Anna? Drives you closer together? It does. And there's times when you start to feel it pushing you apart. And there's times where both mm-hmm. of us want answers and we don't have it. And there's times I may expect her to know what's going on and she doesn't. Or she expects me to or me to be more inquisitive and I'm not. Because kind of like most of us as guys, when things start to become more overwhelming for us, we back off. Sure. Right? And, I'm and just like, observe. I want to try and figure out, I'm going to fix it. Right. And then when you can't fix it, it can cause you to isolate. Yeah. And that's my biggest danger. And so it's staying engaged, and Anna's really gracious and good with me saying, hey, I need you here on this. Yeah. And uh, that's been the best part about being married now for 25 years is just realizing how much you learn from each other. Yeah. And how much when you stay in it and allow that other person to speak into your life, it's almost like I, I'm convinced God speaks to us more through our spouses than anyone else on the planet will yeah. listen. Yes. And for the first 10 years of my marriage, I pushed that away, and it's just like, please don't tell me what to do. Please don't say anything. Right. And now I've come to embrace it because I know that's one of the biggest ways God speaks to me. Yeah. Okay, the younger two. Uh, next is Rachel. Rachel's a senior. She's graduating. Another amazing, strong gal. Um, she's hilarious. Uh, she was one of my daughters growing up that almost killed me the most when I would wrestle with her. <laughs> so she was just vicious. Yeah. Um, Rachel is an incredibly gifted young lady. She has the ability to read people. Um, which is unlike anyone I've ever seen. Yeah. And I, we told her at a young age, we realized that, and we told her at a young age saying, you can either use this for good or for bad. You can either use this to tear into people or you can use this to build them up. And to watch her wrestle with that and realize kind of like, oh, the power I have. Sure. And then also the opportunity I have. And um, she is just an incredible young woman. Uh, love her to death. She's about to graduate. She's fought through stuff as well. She's um, at her school. She's been times where she just feels... Uh, like she's not good enough. She goes to a mm. charter school yeah. and the bar set really high. And it's like, man, if you get nothing but straight A's, you're, you're less than and you're not going to cut it. Right. Um, you follow in your older sister's footstep who did get straight A's and dealt with heart surgery and you're trying to live in that shadow as well. Right. And just to watch her fight through that is, is incredible. Um, yeah, that birth order stuff is it means something. It does mean something. It, it really does. And also realizing that each one of them is so different. Yeah. And for those of us as parents, you realize that there is no carbon you know, mold. You just right. look and say, they're just the same. So for Rachel, it's been cool to see her just flourish and grow and at the same time struggle. And for her, on even going through periods of having anxiety and being overwhelming and not knowing how to help her with that as a dad right. uh, has been paralyzing at times. Um, she volunteers with middle school as well. I in know. fact, all three of my girls do. Yeah. And I watch them with them, and they're amazing. They are just these, I wonder where they get that. Their mom is pretty <laughs> awesome. <laughs> Um, but I watch them and they, the way they invest in girls and love them and it's just like it's a reminder that God is so much bigger than my shortcomings as a dad for all the things we didn't do well what God has placed in them and what he continues to do in them trumps that and for the things we did do well that reflect him to them it's nothing but you know frosting on the cake sure And the youngest. There's my Gabs. Gabs is amazing. Justin and I were just talking about her beforehand. Uh, Gabby is hilarious. She's probably my funniest kid. 
when she was little, when I was a youth pastor, and she was, again, birth oral, she was the smallest and youngest. Yeah. And by that time, as parents, you're just sort of like, okay, yeah. whatever. <laughs> just make sure she somehow gets in the car or whatever, yeah. gets fed. Yeah. So she's had to survive being the baby and coming through. But I would bring her a lot of times to youth group nights and all at the end so they could see me or hang out. And she would just walk up. And about that time, she was probably four, five, six years old. Mm-hmm. And she just said a thing where she just didn't trust men. And part of me is like, that's, that's great discernment. I like that. I used to yes. have a saying that boys are bad except for dad. I told my daughters all the way through <laughs> high school. The, that needs to be a bumper sticker. Absolutely. Boys right. are bad except for dad. Yeah, right. Just because I was one of those boys and I know. That's and all right. the guys out there listening know what kind of punks you were yeah. and maybe still are. <laughs> it's like boys are bad except for dad. Well, Gabby took it to heart. Yeah. So I'd have all these great volunteer leaders and all at youth group. She'd walk up to them, sort of look them up and down, size them up, and then just kick them in the shin <laughs> and walk off. And they all knew her. They all started like walking away from where they saw her coming. So that's Gabby. She was just a go-getter. She has an incredibly compassionate heart. She loves animals. Loves. She leads with middle school as well. Her her love for her girls is incredible. Um, She babysits. She nannies. I watch my girls and I watch how they pour into other people. And it's a little overwhelming. I just think, man, they're incredible young women. Right. In spite of me at times, and (laughs) and other times it's like, yeah, the things we did did well have taken, and that's an encouragement. Well, I think you know this. I think Gabby's the only person outside of family that's watched my grandkids. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the, oh, she's the only one that Ben and Allie will trust. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. That's great. Yeah. She brings up some great stories and uh, yeah, just watching her interact with kids is amazing. So where as a, as a dad of four daughters, <clears throat> I'm going to, was there any point you were like, when Anna was pregnant, maybe this will be a boy or anything. Did any of that come into as the girls were being born and probably about the second one you know after noel was born it's like oh maybe we'll have a boy and then rachel was born and rachel kind of was a boy like i mentioned before right first of all she had a head like the size of sputnik <laughs> just this giant melon when she was a kid i don't know how she kept her upright and she was so heavy and she when we a big lollipop oh my gosh and she was just brute strong and so yeah. when i wrestle she's the littlest one at this time because didn't have gabby but my other ones Rachel or Maddie and Noel, we would wrestle. I mean, I WWE with them. It was great. Right. And if I wasn't looking, Rachel would run as fast as she could and headbutt me from behind, just drive her head into my back, like knock the wind out of me. My, my kidneys are splitting, you know. I'd look and just like, Rachel, and part of me's proud. Like, that yeah. was awesome. And I was right. Like, you can't do that. Right. So one time we're wrestling, I got Maddie and, and Noel down, right? Yeah. And I'm pinning them all that. And Rachel at this time is three or four. And I hear her yell, from the top rope. She climbed up on the couch. She does a flying, like, people's elbow onto my back. Again, lays me out. And I'm, like, thinking, oh, that was pretty awesome. And I'm, like, groaning because I just took a year off my life. And I said, Rachel, you can't do this. So this is Rachel, right? Just this incredible girl. And so in some ways, I'm starting saying, okay, the guys, people who knew me, I didn't raise my girls just as girls. I raised right. them as um, some ways boys, some ways girls. I mean, they're they're they are tougher than snot. I did yeah. not worry about them at all. They can handle themselves. Yeah. Um, but there was about after Noel was born, it's like, oh, I wonder if we'll get a boy. And then we were planning on being done, and Gabby was a little surprised. Yes. And I remember thinking, this is good times. There we go. And of course, another girl and all. And yeah. she, I, I don't mean that mean. It's just awesome. Sure. But at that time, <laughs> before she was born, I was still a youth pastor. And I was wrestling through, I don't have any boys, and how would I do with that? God just really spoke to me and said, Paul, I've entrusted you with dozens and dozens yeah. of boys. Yeah. And I need you to mentor them and lead them and love them just the same way you love your girls. Sure. And that really changed my perspective. And I really, it has never been a time like, oh, I really want, you know, I wish I had that. I really have, I can say that honestly. Right. Where do you see uh, yourself? <clears throat> yeah, where do you see yourself in, in each of the girls from Maddie, Noel, Rachel to Gabby? Which, where do you see yourself, your, your personality coming out in them? Uh, their stubbornness, yeah. they're incredibly stubborn, um, they're tenacious, they, they're not quitters, I see that in them a lot, uh, and they care about people, yeah. and, and there's some, those are all things that are kind of some of my attributes as I look at them. Uh, sometimes you'll fault those things that, I, that drive me most nuts about them are the things that are most like sure. me, and we notice that as parents as well. Yeah, yeah. And then, so as you look at this, what has been, what's been the hardest part of parenting girls to you? <laughs> Man, I'm still in therapy. Uh, you know, it's funny. I've thought going in, hey, I've been in youth ministry for 18 years. I've worked with adolescent girls. I got this. And I know God just laughed his ass off because <laughs> I have been so clueless. Nothing can prepare you for what it's like. I mean, I, I tell people all the time, especially when they were little, it was really good and easy. Sure. And I was their hero. I was dad, right? Right. I remember one time I came home and it was like right in time for dinner and they had just got back from shopping. So a big time at 
in our lives then was they take the girls shopping. They went to Target or something, and that was yeah, that was the big deal, right? So I come home, and Maddie comes running to greet me. She's about four or five at this time, and she grabs me by the face as I'm kneeling down to hug her, and she says, "Daddy, Daddy, we had the best day. We bought Blue's Clues toothpaste." It just is shaking my head, loving me, right? Like right. celebrating this monumental event. Blue's remember, Clues toothpaste. I'm like, this is great. My daughter adores me. I was able to buy her toothpaste, and right. Just could not be any better. And then they become teenagers. Yeah. And it seems like half the time there's nothing I can do or say that really is right. Right. Um, and there's part of you that starts to question, do I even know what I'm doing, right? And and I know I'm a tool, but am I this big a tool? And <laughs> there's times where I would look at my daughters and I literally a couple of times would say, hey, can I talk to the old Madison who's in there somewhere? Right. Because this one isn't going so well right now. Um, and some of it is they're just figuring out life and they're sure. going through and they've got hormones and Things raging, and and it's just a different deal altogether. And again, there's been times in my life where I felt just completely helpless. Like, I don't have an answer for this, how to right. do it. And so what I always come back to is saying, I got to remain faithful. I continue, I have to be the one who is steady. I continue to tell them I love them. I continue to be the one who's engaging with them. Um, and not always perfectly. I mean, there's sure. things you look back and say, gosh, I really blew that. Right. But that's the biggest thing, because as they ride that roller coaster and they're going through it, they need to know, yep, but I kn- my dad loves me. Yeah. Right? That's the one constant. Absolutely. Sure. Yeah. So as, uh, remind me, Maddie's 24 now? She's 22. 22. So are you seeing some of that coming around now? Uh, yeah, you bet. And that's been the cool thing is they start to get older. It's like all of a sudden they're coming back now. And I'm yeah. like, oh, this is good. This is what I miss. And you start thinking about at some point when they get married and having grandkids and all that's like, that's going to be gravy again. It's just that season. That's the one thing I would tell any of you parents when you when your kids are hitting that adolescence and going yeah. through it. It's just a hard season, boys right. and girls. For me, it was just all girls at the time. And for a dad, it's looking, there's times you just want to throw your hands up and say, I've got no answers. I'm done. Right. And you can't do it. You got to stay in the game. Yes. And there's times you tap out and say, all right, dear, you go take them. Because I can't right now. And there's times where Anna looks at me and says, I'm going to kill one of them. Why don't you go take him? Sure. And that's where a tag team really works. So um, answer this for me. What's What do you feel like is the greatest lesson God's taught you through your four girls? <sighs> I think it's the heart of a father. The heart mm-hmm. that says, I will sacrifice. I will do whatever it takes for them. Um, even if the time they don't appreciate it, or any of the time I don't do it well, that's the most important thing. Again, that consistency that says I will do whatever it takes to love and provide, provide and protect you. Yeah. Uh, and you can't, you don't ever lose that. Even when you're mad at them or you're done with them, and there's times you just want to write them off. And believe me, there's times you're just like, oh, I'm done. Right. You always get recentered, and you're reminded one, my heavenly Father's never done that with me. Right. And number two, Sovereign God has entrusted me with these kids. These girls, yes, I don't have an option. I've got to stay in the fight. And if I do, they will be so much better off down the road. Yes. Because as a youth pastor, I saw the time, the effect, especially when dads were not involved in girls' lives. And they're going to go searching for love and, and attention and acceptance somewhere. And if we don't do a good job with it as, as dads, the girls will still find a way to have that met. Right. By someone who's… Who does not have their best intentions. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Now, one of the things I think about for you is… You know, I have a son and a daughter, both of them grown out of the home, kids, all that. Uh, there is a difference between marrying off your son and marrying off your daughter. Right. Uh, there's an element of, <clears throat> I'm going to say there's an element of of pride in a, in a healthy way mm-hmm. when, when your kids get married, but especially with your son. You're kind of sending them off to go and now go and do. You bet. There's something very, very bittersweet hmm. about marrying off your daughter. As you can speak from experience. Yes. Yeah. Great thing. Still bittersweet. There's a, there's, a, there's a tinge of you know joy and sadness in the midst of that. E- I would say even equal m- amounts. Right. I'm looking at you going, you got four of those ahead of you, buddy. Are you thinking about this? Like, what is it going to be like to walk yeah. each of those girls down the aisle? Well, the first thing I always think of is I was born in the wrong culture in the wrong time because I would be a rich man in another culture. I would get camels <laughs> and livestock right. and all that stuff with a dowry. <laughs> That's right. Now I pay for a wedding. It's like, this sucks. Yeah. Um, so God and I have had words about that. <laughs> But the other side of it is it is bittersweet. There's part of you that wants them to thrive and to uh, to fall in love and to be mm-hmm. cherished in ways that they can never feel from their dad. Right. And so there's part of that. And there's other parts that are scared as hell that I'm going to let go of my baby girl. And I I am, without a shadow of a doubt, the one, their number one protector. And I'm trusting them with somebody else. 
and there's a risk that they may not do the same thing I have. Yeah. And that's that's scary at this point. And one of my greatest prayers right now is I really don't care where my daughters go or what. I just want them to follow Jesus and find a, a boy who loves Jesus. And so the, the the prayer I pray for their future husbands is that they would be men that grow to love Jesus with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength, and that they would treasure, sacrifice, and love and nurture my daughters at yeah. any cost. That's my prayer for them on a daily basis. So I don't know who they are. Right. Now, one thing I will tell you, each of my daughters know I have a tool card. And what I mean by that is I have a card that I get to play if they ever bring home a tool to say, this one's done. <laughs> and I told them, I know that because I was Captain Tool and I can sure. s- you just sense it. Yeah. And so they realize that the dad's got a tool card. And there's no question. If you get the tool card gets played, it's like, thanks for playing. Move on. But you just said it. You were the king of the tools. Right. And look what God has done with you. Paul, the tool, Andrews. Right. That person might walk through your door. He might. Now, if he is where I was at as a 14 or 15-year-old, the card's still getting played. Right. If he was where I was at as 17 or 18, I'm not looking for somebody who's arrived or perfect, but I'm looking for somebody who is striving and chasing after Jesus. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah. Hey, so as we wrap this up, I want to ask you this, because you know this, you're experiencing this. You go In parenting, you go from... I'm going to say maintenance. We got to make sure that they're clean, they're clothed, they're fed, you know, they're, they're safe. And then they get over, and then you get to this point where you move away from parenting becomes mentoring Mm -hmm. and become, you come alongside as opposed to actually physically pushing them one direction or the other. So what does that look like for you now? I'm going to say with, with, I'm going to, looking at Maddie at 22. And you've got Rachel all, all the way down the line. How is how does parenting look different to you now as it did uh, when you were younger? And then how do you see this going into the future when they're gone? Right. Uh, they may never leave, and that's a scary thought. Maybe in my basement <laughs> forever. Um, <laughs> the transition is interesting, especially because now my two youngest ones are 17 or 18. And by definition, they're almost legally adults sure. who can do whatever they want. Right. Um, and so there's still an element of, no, mom and dad say this, and this is the rules, and this is what we're going to do. There's a whole lot of, hey, have you thought about this challenging, you know, questioning and helping them process through decisions they're making. Yeah. And there, I think there's a dance there. You know, there's times where I feel like we probably come down too heavy, and we're looking at saying, you know what? Your mom and dad, but you're only entitled for so much longer. There's other times where we may give them too much leeway for them to figure it out. So I don't know if I have a perfect answer other than to say we strive to say, I want to see them make decisions that are best for them. And how do I empower them to do that? Right. And sometimes it's giving them a protective boundary. And a, a lot of the times it's now just giving them guidance and letting them figure it out on their own. Um, for my oldest one, actually, Madison is 22. You see the transition already to where she, she is still my daughter, and she's still my baby girl even at 22, but she's also my friend. And it's yeah. just so cool to get a partner and watch them thrive and and go through lives and the hurts and the struggles and the successes and, and the things that delight them. And you just sort of get to champion them, yeah. and you get to stand alongside them. Yeah, it, that part's awesome, and I see more and more of that. Uh, and then as far as being a grandparent someday and having grandkids, which you're getting to know right now. It's wonderful. It's a whole different phase yeah. altogether, right? Yeah. Um, and that's where they start coming back to you saying, I am so sorry, right? Because <laughs> that's what I did. Right? Yeah, like, exactly. I thought I knew everything. I had no idea, yeah. right? So I think there's seasons you're in, and there's a little bit of everything. Um, but right now, there's still sort of the boundary side and, and protecting my younger daughters. My older daughters, it's more about equipping them and helping them make good decisions. Sure. So, like I said, you you haven't left Flatter. As a matter of fact, you while you stepped away from youth uh, ministry and you and – you, uh, uh, moved outside of doing work here, but you're still actively involved. You're one of the key leaders in student ministries. You are also one of our elders. Yep. So let me just ask this. How much does the wisdom you've gained as a father play into leading this church? A whole bunch. Because again, it, it starts with the whole idea of sovereign God has entrusted me with this part of his kingdom. Yeah. Uh, and that can be overwhelming. It's one of the reasons why I almost didn't jump on the elder team back then is I had a pretty healthy perspective of responsibility and what this entailed. And I remember telling Bruner for for over a year, just, no, 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 I'm done. Unfortunately, he had some compromising pictures of me <laughs> that changed things. Uh, but I just, I realized what this yeah. meant. And so much of it is looking and saying, 
I need to do everything I can to protect and provide, whether that's been my role as a dad with my daughters, my role as a husband with my wife, my role with my students and, and, and who are high school kids, or my role as an elder and working with the staff and, and taking care of Jim and the lead team. That's still my charge. And there's times where I just want to say, no, nope, this is too hard, I'm done, mm-hmm. right? And there's other times where it's like, man, I love getting to do this. And most of it's somewhere in between, yeah. you know, and you just stay in it. You, gotta, you can't quit. There's times where you fail and you get back up and you confess it and you say, yep, I blew it there. And there's other times where you're going to lead really well and you're reminded, this is what God has created me to do, right? And when you have that sense of purpose, nothing else matters. That was great, wasn't it? I don't care where you are or what you're doing in life. Paul had some great words of wisdom there, didn't he? As Paul was talking about the rough patches of being an elder, he said, you can't quit. And no matter who you are and what you're facing, the same is true, isn't it? You can't quit. And wherever you are in life, a young man at the beginning with everything in front of you, filled with what ifs, or if you've got much more road in your rear view than you have on the windshield in front of you, what Paul Andrews said is still true. This is what God has created me and you to do. God has created you and placed you exactly where you are for a reason. King David reminds us in Psalm 134 where he writes, You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all of my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. Next week, my good friend Annie Weineman comes in to discuss the rough journey that he's on with his father. And my dad is kind of the patriarch of the family, not only of our uh, immediate family, but his brother and sister and extended family. And so everybody gathers at our house. And they've done that for years and years. And my dad went to carve the Thanksgiving turkey. And I'm standing there with him. And he starts to look unsure and he asks questions. And I realized... He doesn't know what to do. It's a heart-wrenching story. I hope you join us next week. This is Dan Foote for Wake Up Call, the Flatirons podcast for men.